0: On today's show, our guest is Craig Carr. Craig is a sales and communication expert and has been described by those who have worked with him as one of the most dynamic how-to sales and communication trainers available today. Craig has trained thousands of people in multiple countries and his straight-talking, no-nonsense approach creates immediate results for businesses and individuals just like you. Craig has been selling for more than 30 years and teaching others for the last 15 He's still actively selling in his own sales business and has personally sold over $500 in sales. So what he teaches is not theory that used to work. It's the latest practical training that works right now in today's market. Craig has shared the stage in multiple countries with some of the highest paid, most professional speakers in the world. Craig's an author, a licensed professional business coach, a certified NLP master practitioner, a certified DISC master practitioner, and he holds diplomas in advanced body language and non-verbal communication. Craig is the co-founder of Freedom Sales Academy, which is a learning institution devoted to sales and communication mastery. His programs can help businesses and individuals to increase their sales results by 212% and conversions by up to 75% almost instantly. I'm a huge fan of Craig's work, and I know that you're gonna learn a lot from his amazing all-in approach to life, and to his business. Please help me and welcome in welcoming Craig Carr. Hey, are you totally committed? Are you playing full out? Are you all in? Hi, my name is Robert Brass and this is the Go All In Podcast. Join me as we explore amazing stories of success, heartache and absolute triumph by those who have gone all in. I'm glad you're here, so let's get to it and do whatever it takes to go all in and create the life of your dreams. G'day, Craig. Welcome to the show, mate. It's great to have you here.
1: G'day, Rob. It's great to be here. Thank you, mate.
0: No problems at all. I like to start off the show with all of my guests with a quick get to know you quiz. It helps us calm the nerves. It warms us up a little bit and it helps for us to get to know you a little bit more. You ready? I'm ready. (laughs) All right, cool. What you need to do is just tell me the first thing that comes to mind. Do you prefer one-on-one coaching or group training?
1: Probably group training is what we're doing more of nowadays.
0: What's more fun, working with small businesses or major corporates? Small businesses, more
1: fun for sure. Yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) That's all about the fun, right? You've got to enjoy what you do. Absolutely. Do you prefer selling from the stage or selling face-to-face?
1: That's hard to answer, but there is nothing like selling from the stage mode. That's all the joy that you get out of selling one to one. Amplify that a hundred times and that's what it feels like when you're selling from the front of the room.
0: I knew that would be a challenging question. That's why I chucked it in there because <laughs> it's hard to choose, right? It's fun selling yeah, both are
1: good. <laughs>
0: yeah, but you get a thrill on stage as well. Do you still get nervous before you go on stage?
1: Uh, Yeah, I do. Yeah, depending on the audience and depending on the topic. I guess it's like most things, the more you do it, the less nervous you are. But I think the nerves is good for me because it lets me know that I'm really excited about the audience I'm about to speak to. It's an anxious energy, I think, the nerves. Yeah,
0: I was going to say, is it more anxious and the degree of anxiousness is amplified by how big or small the audience is, right?
1: That's absolutely true. And I actually, I'm kind of addicted to that feeling now. So I look forward to when I get invited to speak in big stages nowadays. It's a thrill. For
0: sure. Awesome. Well, you've been in sales for a very long time. Did you ever do any door knocking in your early career?
1: Believe it or not, that's how I started when I was still at school. I was 15 years of age and most of my mates were going for jobs, sort of pushing shopping trolleys at Coles and Woolies in the school halls to get a few extra bucks. And I answered an ad in the paper to do canvassing. Now, I like doing a bit of painting, believe it or not. So I thought, I thought it had something to do with painting, but then I found out it was actually door-to-door sales. So well, that was a bit of a rude shock, but they told us we could make five bucks a lead. So all you had to do was get an appointment for somebody. So that was my first taste at selling, mate. And that, that was knocking on doors. So I guess that's the, uh, the way you're going to learn the fastest. Did
0: you ever have the door slammed in your face?
1: I had a couple of interesting comments for sure. I don't know anybody was at the age of 15. I don't think anyone was going to slam the door in my face. But the funny thing is I started reading a sales script. I don't know if any of your listeners have ever had the sales script before mm-hmm. and first three doors I knocked on with three big fat nose, very quick. So all of a sudden I didn't know whether it was me or it was this script. So it was an interesting, interesting way to get started. That's for sure.
0: When you got started in that, were you ultimately successful in door to door sales?
1: Well, I was when I changed the script. So I, re- I recognized very quick at the age of uh, 15 that a lot of what we're taught in selling is not actually the way to sell. And and I, I guess I've been spending 30-odd years since that trying to reinvent that. But the funny thing is is I actually ended up breaking all of the records in that company for the amount of leads you get per day, per week, and in a, a six-week period. Cool. By the end of that, I was actually asked by the organization to rewrite their sales training scripts and even offered a job. and oh, I still have to go back to school, but, but it was interesting to find... Um, It was not necessarily about following the script, but finding out what customers actually wanted. So I learned that pretty quick.
0: Uh, Well, no doubt we're going to cover off on a little bit of that in this podcast. So I can't wait to hear some more about that. Well, people come on over to this podcast to learn about others that have gone all in. If you could, please, mate, can you please share with us your biggest all in story or stories and the lessons that you've learned from the decisions that you've had to make along the way and your commitment to success?
1: That's a really good question, Rob. For us, I guess, just to give you a bit of context around it, I was working successfully in a sales organization, risen to the top of that organization, working on wages for about Ten years, and but once you become the number one in in a sales organisation, you're remunerated quite well. Obviously, I was given an opportunity to start a sales agency. So, if your listeners don't know what that is, that that means you don't get paid. So, that's a, this is a really good job. I come to an interview, I said we're not going to pay you, but but he good luck. So, what it is it's purely commission. So they give you a territory. They obviously you've got a brand to sell and product to sell, and you're remunerated directly in relation to how much you sell. So you don't sell, you don't eat. So, And this is coming off the salary, the company car, the credit card expenses paid and all that sort of thing to doing it all on your own. So this, this was very, very scary. And what they showed me in terms of how many sales have been generated before we inherited the territory was considerably less than what I was already earning. So it was a scary decision to make and one where we literally had to back our talent and our ability to build something from the ground up. That was 24 years ago, and we said yes to that opportunity, and we've never had a backward year in 24 years. 24 years of selling, year-on-year growth, which we're very proud of. But that was absolutely going all in, because at the time, it was pretty scary.
0: What were you scared of?
1: Well, failure, I guess. So I I guess, like most of us, we, we live our life according to what we bring in. So the idea of cutting your income in half from one day to the next is a little bit scary, from a practicable point of view, can we actually afford to do this? But I guess it's the fear of, well, look, if we we do this, we come back to the industry we know as as a bit of a failure. I know I know that's sort of it's your own feeling. I, I don't think anybody else would actually make you feel like that, but that's what you would feel like for yourself. So that was that was the big one that I had to achieve. as so I have a crack at this. If I get it wrong, we learn and we move on. So I ha- I, that's what I had to learn myself. Yeah. So
0: it was a, a quite a long time ago that you started it. Do you remember when it was starting to pay off? Was it? six months in, 12 months in, and you realize that you went all in on this agency in this territory and you started to get some traction with it. How, how long before you actually got a hold of it and it was going well for you?
1: Well, well that was a good thing. Cause I, I guess doing something this terrifying means you, you burn the bridge behind you. So you've only got one direction to go in and, and we did to steal your, your expression, mate, we did go all in. So I set up a plan and said, well, look, it was in a similar industry. So I thought of some of the people that knew us and, and, trusted us would come with us that would help us and then we see if we can go from there and as it turned out we did have some loyal clients that stayed with us and helped us to get up and running but I'm very proud to say that we we never actually had a backwards year so I actually that very first year just pure commission I, I outdid what my corporate salary was including all the other expenses and whatnot so by going all in we were able to achieve success straight out of the gate and then every year we've grown it since then. So it paid off. It was well worth overcoming the fear. Was
0: it the commitment or the expectation or was it a combination of the commitment and the expectation to actually make it work?
1: I don't think we would have done it without both of those things. So there was absolutely the commitment and drive to failure was not an option, but it was with a plan. So it wasn't just to throw a dart in the air and hope it's going to hit a board somewhere. We absolutely set down a methodical way of how we're going to do this but it's funny, isn't it? You, you start with that myth of we're going to start our own business and it's going to, things are going to be great. I'm going to get to play golf every now and then I've never worked hard in my life. So it was like 24 seven, but we knew that's what we had to do. That's how we're able to achieve it. So it's, it's both the commitment and it's a plan knowing you're going in the right direction. When you started your
0: sales agency, did you have some big wins in there? Or, or were they incrementally small ones with nice recurring revenue or did you have some like really big commissions happening for yourself?
1: No, there was certainly no big commissions to start with. So it was, just, it was a slow build because as you can understand, we're, we're building customers from the ground up. Mm-hmm. So as we got new customers in, there were some nice opening orders with that, which brought some nice commissions, but it was establishing a base and then continuing to grow it. So it was a very methodical approach that grew over time, which we're happy to say. But what we did as a result of that we were able to build a quite a consistent business because one thing many of you listeners are listening in might know if, if they're in a consultancy type business or a commission type business. It can be very up and down. You can have some really good months there and some really scary months. But what we were able to do by establishing it the way we did was build a reasonably consistent income. There were some ups and downs, peaks and troughs with seasonality, but outside of that, it was a pretty consistent income, which we were very happy about. I don't know whether that was good luck or good management, but that, that's how it ended up being, so that we were very grateful.
0: As one of the most challenging things in starting a business, whether it was 20 years ago or it was, or it's tomorrow that you're starting, is managing your cash flow and layering and organizing your business so you can bring in that recurring and get that baseline there. Once you've established that baseline, did it really start to take off for you or was it just more of the same methodical sale in, sale out, sale in, sale out? Did you start to like expand and grow? That must have been exciting.
1: These are really good questions, mate. Well, we did. It's it's, So open book here. So we we inherited a business that was generating 250 grand in sales, and we get a small percentage of that. We were able to take that business in eight years to $4 million in, in sales. Now, that took eight years to do, which at the time we were very, very proud of that growth and that, that was exciting growth. Uh, by the way, the commission percentage was still the same, so you, your listeners will get a, start to get a bit of an idea as a, it was returning us a good income. Mm. But here's here's the interesting thing. in year, From year eight to year 10, we doubled it. So it took me eight years. Now, what, this was quite interesting, but what happened in that eight years is we had some income goals, some dream goals. If we got to this, we, we would be so excited. This is what we were trying to achieve. We actually arrived at that in year eight. By year eight in the business, I had nothing more to prove, nothing more to achieve in terms of the, the big, big, hairy, audacious goals that we set for, us, for ourselves. So this is what happened in year eight. Year eight, I stopped thinking about me. Year eight, I was no longer focused on what I wanted, what goals I was trying to achieve, how far I could get this business. In year eight, do you know what happened? I actually started thinking about the customers. Because <laughs> I, I wasn't thinking about me anymore. I know this sounds silly, but but this is how, and, and I'm nothing if not off, if not <laughs> slow on uptake. You're already getting that, right? So it took me eight years to figure it out. But the moment I stopped thinking about me and my outcome, I actually started, so what I did differently is I started from that point in time, I started talking to customers. I said, "What? where would you like to get this business to? this is what we did last year, what would you like to do next year? And you, if you, it's interesting, you ask a customer that question, this is what you did last year, what would you like to do yes, next year? Let your customers put that question to the test. I'll guarantee you, almost everybody, I think 9 out of 10 customers come back to you and say they want to double their income. Everybody wants to double their income. No matter what it is last year, they want to double it. So I just asked customers that and they said, we want to double their income. And I said, well, we could double your income for you. Here's what we're going to need you to buy each month because this is the rate it's going to replenish at. So all we did for the next two years, we took that from $4 million to $8 million in sales. And the only thing I did different was listen to what the customers want. Now here's what I learned from that. The customers would have wanted that growth at any point in that eight years previous.
0: <laughs> you could have asked
1: them in month six. <laughs> I could have asked them seven years earlier. Than that, Who's the biggest idiot in selling? I could have asked them years. They wanted to double they want. I was putting a ceiling on them. I was putting the brakes on them. The moment I figured that out and so it's not about me, it's about how far your customers want to take it. And guess what? Our income just went through the roof as a sideline to that. It was incredible.
0: Well, that's a fantastic little story in there. and I think it's a really strong lesson about selling is not about you as the person. I always say that sales is everything and everything is sales. And whether you're selling a product or a service, or you're trying to convince your missus to go to the movies and watch the war movie, not the, you know, the romantic comedy, <laughs> um, everything is, is selling. And I just feel like you need those emotional, heartfelt triggers. And you're a sales trainer and you, you run a business training people in things like that. What would you say the top three things are in selling to somebody else in terms of emotional triggers? What About going all in with selling, what would you say the top three things are there?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. We tend to start with three things that we look at with any student, regardless of which level they're coming in on. And, and this, this would apply to all businesses. There's three things in sales that are important to focus on right now. One's your positioning, one's intent, and one's attachment. Let me just spend a minute on those. We, we teach a paradigm shift with our students to go from that of being perceived as a stereotypical salesperson to that of the doctor. Because from the salesperson, we all have a bit of a barrier up. In fact, I ask consumer groups, what's the number one word that comes to mind when you think of the word salesperson? And the number one word they come up with is pushy. So we all have this perception that salespeople are pushy. They're a little bit sleazy. They're all about themselves, all about making it up. Um, so we need to change it. because, that, And that's not going to change. You can't change consumers' minds on that. So the only thing you can change is stop being a salesperson. So that's, the first, that's where we start businesses is you've got to stop selling. And you do, so instead of being a salesperson, you become a doctor. The first thing a doctor does is they don't tell, they ask. The first thing a doctor does is ask questions. So we stop telling, we start asking. So the doctor finds out what the problem is and then they offer a solution. Salespeople typically don't do that. They just go straight to their product, straight to their service. Why am I so good? Why should you buy from me? So that's where we start. Now that's positioning. So that's about how you see yourself and how your customer sees you. So number one thing to focus on, because if you're not positioned in the right way, it doesn't matter what you're selling. They think of you in a certain box, that's it. You're never going to get the same. Number two is intent. So number two is about making sure we're clear on what it is we actually sell. And it's typically not our product or our service. It's the result that that achieves. And we all know the big hardware chain, Bunnings. So if I can tell you one of Bunnings' biggest selling products is a five mil drill bit. I don't know much about hardware, but I, I promise you, nobody wants a five mil drill bit. They all want a five mil hole. All right? So it's, 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 it's not necessarily what, it, what the product is, it's what it does. All right? So Rob, if you ask me the time, I, you just want the time. You don't want me to teach you how to build a watch or tell you how a watch was invented. You just want the time. So we spend too much time intent on our product, on what it does versus what it does for that specific consumer or whatever our service is, whatever our product is. So sell the result, not the product. Number three is attachment. What are we attached to? And this is really hard in selling because we'll have sales meetings, we're talking about our budget now, target, we've got to hit the quota, we've got merchandise in the warehouse, we've got to move. So it's all about sales, our sales, it's all about making that commission, hitting that dollar. I learned that the hard way, it took me the long way to learn that. The moment I attach my outcome to the customer, that's when things change for me. So be attached to what the customer wants. What does the customer need? And that's what the doctor does. Mm. Where does it hurt? Now I know exactly how to prescribe to you. They're not even allowed to do that in the medical They go prescription before they go diagnosis. I call that malpractice. There should be a law against it in selling. If we change that around and we ask, then solve, then that's when we're going to win.
0: There's a really sensible framework to work within and three things are always really easy to remember. You can you know, rattle those three things off nice and quickly. I feel like selling is a, it's a constant process of learning because it's a process of human interaction. And no matter how much NLP you study or how much body language you study, it's always it's an evolving thing for you as an individual. For me personally, selling belly to belly takes a really keen ability to think on your feet with somebody and to be able to react to that prospect, to that target, to their body language, to what they're saying and how they're engaging with you is a really hard thing to do when you're learning new techniques. What would you say the best way is to get practice at that and to get better at that? Is it by just engaging with more customers? Because I just find it really hard personally, when I've learned a new technique and I try that technique on someone, then I've got no feedback from anybody. You know, sometimes the, the prospect buys it and sometimes they don't buy it and I'm not sure what's happening in there.
1: What would you say to that? That's a fabulous question. You've got got me really thinking about that. I think the problem is we naturally have a way of communicating with other people, but then when we start selling, we become something that we're not. It's like we put on a different jacket or shirt or hat and we go into sales mode. I've I've actually had people say, look, I'm, I'm great talking to the customer, but I fall apart when it comes to closing this up. So they think that they have to change or that they think they have to be different. Mm-hmm. You're right in a sense, you, you're going to get it with, with practice, but it's only if it's good practice. Like I had mates in golf tell me I just need to be more consistent, but the trouble is I'm crap at golf, so being being crap more consistently is, is not good. I had to actually get good, so, <laughs> so the only way I could do that was to go to a coach that actually could see what I was doing wrong and fix that. Then when I was practicing, I was practicing the right stuff, not, not the crap stuff. So the problem is in just belly-to-belly sale, selling, if we're not doing it right is we're actually ingraining bad habits more into it so the the easiest thing to do to start with is just be authentic just be real most of your listeners will know that i'm being genuine on this when i say you will know in a sales situation when it's going well and when it's going poorly when it's not going well this is going pear-shaped real fast. you will know that you will feel that and you don't have to be trained on selling to feel it Here's what the problem with the, the amateur salesperson, when they feel that this is going pear-shaped, they just keep talking. They took more. They took faster. They took oh, now I know what I'll do now. I'll convince them of something else. It's wrong. I don't know how many people actually like the idea of being convinced or being persuaded into something they don't want to really do. So just be real. So this is, this is what I try and teach in selling. If you're feeling like the, the sale's going pear-shaped or something's going wrong, I just stop. I just stop. I just say, look. Look, I've got a sense here that I've lost you somewhere, that I may have said something that's confused you or maybe something hasn't made sense. Why don't we just, just forget the product even for a moment. Let's just talk, you to me. Tell me what's happening for you in your mind right now. Well, that's uh yeah. customer will talk. Mm-hmm. And once the customer talks, you'll find out what's working and what's not working, then you'll know how to sell them. Selling is easy when it's done right. The trouble is, Rob, it's not done right
0: yeah that's I think that's a, a lot of the issue that I face early in my selling career as well. It's all about products and services, features and benefits, and it was rarely about what the customer actually wanted and finding that out and I think you get caught up learning new products and services and all the features that go with those things, trying to pitch that to somebody when they're really not interested in the pitch they're interested in the solution that you're actually going to offer
1: Yes for <laughs> so, sure, and that's what it's all about.
0: One of the really fun things that I like to do in selling I'm not sure what you do when you have a victory. I want to share with you, and I don't really think I've shared this outside of the immediate people that I work with and my sales team and my business partners, but when I win some business, whether that's a big win or a small win, and I have various different products and services, everything from you know, things worth 50, 60, $100,000 to five or $10 to sell. I've got a big spectrum of products and services that I sell in my agency, but a win's a win for me. And I like to take a moment when we have a win, whether that's a new sale online or particularly face-to-face to stop. And I note the time, the date, and the location. And I really take a minute to feel what I feel like because winning is like, yeah, I love to win. It feels good because I know the next time I go into a sale, before I go into the sale, I stop for a second and I think, where was I the last time I won a deal? And what did that feel like? And even though I can't generate that emotional feeling in my brain because I don't have those hormones running around my brain, I still remember that that felt really good. I remember where I was, what time it was, who the customer was, how big that deal was. Do you have anchor points like that that you use before and after your selling?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's very important. And I have a specific one before I go on stage as well. And that gets me past that initial nervous phase. Um. Yeah, I I can remember some very big sales that I've made that I've used as those anchor points. And it's funny, I have a cross reference in my mind with the final scene of um, Saturday Night Fever where where John Travolta at the end of it starts starts strutting. there's only one thing left to do and that's strut. So for me, it's that feeling of, of strutting. Everything just, came together in the universe at that right time and the sale went exactly how I want it. Whether I'm back in the car now driving, whether I'm on on the way to the airport and I'm on a plane heading home, whatever it is, I've got that feeling that I've strutted, that there's nothing in the world I'd rather be doing than right now than enjoying <laughs> success. So I can feel that and I anchor that back to two specific sales that I made throughout my career, which were just fabulous record sales. And I, I try and get into that state. So everything I felt in that moment, exactly what I was able to do, Particularly in both of those anchor points relate to sales where they were virtually considered impossible sales. And that's what I bring back to because it reminds me that nothing in selling is impossible. Can you tell us about one of those? Yeah, sure. Yeah, the, the, the beauty of this, I, re- I remember them because they're my anchor points. So yep. the one I guess I'll share with you, which was probably the, the record sale, was when I was brought into a company to close a sale that they'd been trying to close for some time. So they would targeted a business that was very, very important to them but was currently dealing with one of their competitors. So the local agent had tried to sell them and got no. The state representative got a no. They called in the national sales manager to do the pitch and he was bringing all guns blazing and still got the no, we're not going to do business with you. The owner of the company actually went down, pulled out all of the stops and still got a no, we're not going to do business with you. So... Based on some of the successes I'd had in the past, they, they brought me in. They were going to put me on a plane to go down and, and close this guy. Now, keep in mind, I've never met this guy. I've got no relationship with this guy mm-hmm. whatsoever. All I know is he said no at least five times already. <laughs> has told me, I'm CC'd in the, on the email that said, there's no point sending this guy down. It's a waste of your time and money we will not be doing business with you. Now, I don't know about you, Rob, or your listeners, but that for me is not the ideal way to start a presentation. Yeah, but in, anyhow, they, they stuck me on the plane regardless, and and that was the first thing I got walking into his office, was look, I'm happy to keep the appointment out of courtesy, but I don't know why you're here, you're wasting your time. So long story short, in inside of an hour, so one hour later, I walked out of that office, I'd never met this guy before, I had no relationship with this guy before, walked out of that office, with 1.8 million dollar deal confirmed order number handshake deal done inside of 1 hour i can still feel that now yeah, that it feels amazing.
0: good right when you had that victory that felt good
1: oh my goodness well, <laughs> i was high fiving anybody on the way back i was high five air hostesses on the, on the way, on the plane mate so I like, anybody i couldn't get that smile off my face so, yeah.
0: did the scale of the deal like you knew that was going to be, so us the, the guy was resistant to you, had his guard up straight away. It was difficult to break that down, but you knew if you're going to win, it's a big deal. So it's worth pursuing. That's the reason that you're there, obviously. Did the scale of the deal have any bearing on whether you would win or lose? Like you're not intimidated by a $2 million deal that didn't come into your thinking or was it, hey, I'm thinking about you as the customer. This is the best thing for you. This is what we can do to help you grow. What was your thinking around the size of the deal?
1: Well, I didn't know the size of the deal until they'd actually generated the order. I just walked out with an order number. So I I didn't actually even know it was a $1.8 million. I knew it was a big deal. Yep. Um, I knew what his business was worth but the beauty of that deal is that that went on to become many, many millions so that was just an opening order so that the, once that got replenished and those two companies are still doing business together and I've personally been involved in training a lot of their sales staff it's funny that guy who didn't even want to let me in his office became one of my biggest raving fans he, he personally put me on planes to bring me back down into their state, he was filling up rooms with, of their sales staff He, he became it was crazy, it was standing room only, this guy became one of my biggest fans which is often your hardest customers will often become your your biggest fans so to answer your question the size of the deal didn't come into it because I I teach now because obviously how you do that is the thing like, oh my goodness, how do you do that? So that's that's what created a complete program. So how do you go from somebody that doesn't want to do business that you don't even know to doing that level of business with them? Because there's a lot, obviously, in that. So the size of the deal doesn't matter because it doesn't matter what size. The deal could have been 10 times that. The deals could have been a small deal, but the technique is the same. What I actually did is the same.
0: Fantastic. It's funny how the biggest resistance sometimes becomes the biggest advocate. That's a wonderful story. And that's a really great example for an anchor point as well. I've had many different anchor points, not just from selling in my life, but just in many different things that you do. I can remember riding a push bike down a hill as a kid and feeling really, really good that I did that. And then the next time you get up against a bigger hill or something a little bit scary, you're like, I can do this. You know, Just those little things that incrementally help you move forward in your life. Well, I just want to shift gears a little bit. You've got this really interesting sales philosophy that I'm really drawn to because as I mentioned before, I believe sales is everything and everything is sales. And you've got a philosophy that sales equals freedom. Can you just speak to that a little bit for us?
1: Yeah, well, that's why we we named the Academy Freedom Sales Academy, because I believe that sales is freedom. So the more you sell, the freer you become. So let me explain what I mean by that in a business context. In business, it's all about sales. I mean, shares go up in a business when sales goes well. Shares go down when sales don't go well. Businesses, if they're selling, they have freedom. So I've sat on boards and leadership teams in businesses that have been restricted by poor sales in terms of the growth that they want to achieve. When we put in place a target to achieve a higher level of sales, it gave the business the freedom that they needed to either go to that next level. It might be to expand to a bigger location, it might be to develop multiple locations. It might be to merge or, or acquire another business. It might ultimately to be list or float or or even to sell the business. So. But with that, you drill that back, reverse engineer that, you need the sales in the first place to be able to give you the growth. So sales in business absolutely equals freedom. In fact, in business, sales and perhaps sales and marketing are the only thing in business that actually contribute to revenue. When you think about it for a moment, every single thing else in business contributes to cost. to overhead. Yeah, everything, everything, every single thing you can think of, sales, and I'll let you argue marketing as well because the definition of marketing is to make a sale redundant. So but tie them together, that's the only thing that will actually contribute to revenue and ultimately freedom in the business. But the interesting thing is when you bring that back to an individual, it's exactly the same thing. And I've learned that throughout my career. Once I achieve the sales I wanted, then I achieve the freedom. So if you're in a team of 12 salespeople and you're the one at the bottom, you have no freedom. There's zero freedom down there. Like You'll be managed, you'll be micromanaged. You, in fact, be asking to please explain. If you're the person at the top, you get the freedom. You get the ability to say, hey, look, I want to be able to do this. I want to be able to do that. You'll get to change the rules. You'll get to move up the ladder. You'll get the prizes. You'll get the accolades. Sales, even for an individual, equals freedom. That gives you the right to be able to put your own shingle out, to build your own business. It's the ultimate freedom. That's why I love
0: just- that philosophy. That's um, very, very powerful powerful i think it's a we have a lot of younger listeners to this podcast and this audience and i It just makes so much sense that the more sales you have the more freedom you've got because all and it's just a positive feedback loop that goes round and round it's it's really cool what would you say to a younger person that was early in their sales career about resilience because you get a lot of no's you get a lot of rejection when you have the right training things start to flow for you and that's a really good thing but Ultimately, that doesn't happen straight away. It always takes time to develop a skill set and to develop that resilience. What would you say to a young person early in their career to keep them going and keep them in sales? Because obviously, for someone like yourself and even for me, it's been, sales has been a, a wonderful thing and a great opportunity
1: yeah great and and this is wonderful to be able to reach out to that next generation that are coming up so i applaud you for what you're doing rob and thank you for the opportunity for me to to give them some advice as well uh, the the biggest thing in selling is to be okay with hearing no I mean, that's, that's part of it. And I may sound hokey now, but when this has been ingrained into you, you've been used to it, you actually look forward to no. Uh, my students look forward to no because I teach them how to turn those no's into yeses, or at least to understand what's underneath that no. So we give you technique to be able to be resilient against that and understand that a no doesn't necessarily mean a no sale. It just means a no, not yet. So first thing is is we harden up a little bit. We get a tough skin. And we get used to the fact we're going to get some rejection and we know how we're going to get it. But that's part of it. There's no problem with that. There's nothing wrong with that. And everybody has their opinion. So all you're looking for in selling is you're looking for people that fit. You're not trying to make everybody a customer. The old school guru style of applauding people because they can sell an ice sell ice to an Eskimo. I mean, that's just ludicrous. I hate that old stuff. Mm -hmm. Not everybody is a customer for your product. All you're trying to do is find a fit. So does this make sense for you? Great. If not, no problem. So if you have the right attitude about it, then you won't be afraid of doing what you need to do in selling to succeed. And that is persisting. You must persist. Um, Any younger listeners jump onto my Facebook at Freedom Sales Academy. I posted just I think this was just a week or so ago. There's a there's a great thing about persistence beating resistance. It actually shows that 80% of all sales are made by less than 10% of all salespeople. Wow. because they are the ones that will continue working through to where the customer actually buys. The customer typically doesn't buy on the first time, second time, third time, find that, save that. It's not, it's not from me. I, I shared on that because I just, that is selling. If, mm-hmm. if you will persist to that level where the other 80% of salespeople won't persist to that level. If you'll go past that point, you'll be selling in fresh air. You will have no competition because nobody else around you went that far, went that hard. That's what I do. And that's what I do with my students. Where we sell, there's no competition because nobody else is prepared to put in that much. It's a great place to be in selling.
0: I like to sum it up by saying you just got to go all in.
1: Yeah, go all in. That's what (laughs) it's all about. There's no turning back.
0: There isn't. Well, selling requires a lot of enthusiasm and passion, but it's pretty hard to bring that passion and enthusiasm every day. Do you have some daily routines or some, some morning routines that you use to keep yourself sharp and focused and to keep bringing your A game day after day?
1: Yeah. um, Well, health and fitness is a big one for us. My wife is a qualified personal trainer. So if I'm not active, she'll whip my butt pretty quick. So we, we like to do 30 minutes of something in the morning. That's just when it works for us. So whether it's going for a walk or whether it's going for a bit of a workout or a bit of a run, that's what we'll do. And we'll try and do that daily. So even when I'm on the road or if I'm interstate or international, there's somewhere in the day where you can fit that in. So that's very, very important. And I've personally found the benefit of that is I can't get my brain right unless I've done something. So I'm, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a health expert. But whatever that does in your body to get your blood pumping, whatever, I don't function as well if I ha- haven't done that. So that's a big one for us, first of all. We have some very, very good coaches, Rob, and I'm sure you're probably the same, mate. Mm -hmm. Most successful people in business will tell you that they don't get there on their own. So we we have some very good coaches that work with us in different aspects of our business, in our branding, in our, our marketing, in our automation, in helping us get people to our events, that type of thing. So we rely heavily on their input and their positivity. And I guess for us, it was, it was learning and, and many of your, your listeners will be aware of sort of the idea of putting in the big rocks first. So there's plenty of little stuff that will get come up on your diary, come up on your play each day. We try and make sure we're focusing on the two or three big things that we need to be achieving that month, that week or, or, or that day. That's kept us in pretty good stead. You don't get it right all the time mate. and, and urgent comes in, but we try and work out whether it's urgent and important. Or it's just urgent, and if it's urgent for somebody else, not not just us. So they're the sort of checks that we put in, and checks and balances that we put in place.
0: It's a common theme: um, exercise and physical activity in the morning. Just about every person that I talk to on an interview on a podcast like this always says that I do some sort of physical activity in the morning. I'm absolutely an advocate for that as well. I'm up early, sort of 4.35 o'clock, and I train for an hour, sometimes a little bit longer, depending on how I feel. But I start my days nice and early, and exactly the same as you I'm not an expert I'm not you know a physical exercise expert or a scientist but I just feel damn good at the end of that and that keeps me sharp and focused as well what are you guys all in on at the moment Craig are you working on some specific aspect of your business that you're looking to grow or are you just continuing doing what you're doing have you got an all-in investment going for yourself
1: we have actually. We're, we're focusing on, so as your listeners may or may not be aware, we run a sales academy. So this is a learning institution. Um, based on uh, need or demand or request of late, we've we've had a lot of coaches uh, reaching out to us. So the, these are, I guess, people starting out a consultation business or, or mm-hmm. some form of home-based business. And they start from Invisible, nobody knows who they are. They might be well known in their own industry and what they're doing, but outside of that, they're, they're invisible. So what we're working on, and we're just in the process of launching this as we speak is a business, and this will be a conglomeration of four or five of some of the best coaches, internationally recognized coaches in their field and bringing their services together in one all in, sorry to borrow that from you again, mate, one all in package that will take their business from zero. So we're guaranteeing them $1 million annual income or annual revenue from their coaching business, their own coaching business. So selling their Mm -hmm. own programs inside of 730 days or we will work with them for free until they get there. So that's what we're pretty excited about right now.
0: Fantastic. Where can people find out more information about that coaching program and your business?
1: So that's in concept at the moment. So they will need to contact me personally on that. So PM me on Freedom Sales Academy's Facebook page or I'm Craig Carr on Facebook. Uh, Send me a message and I'll gladly uh, tell you more about that program. We can also talk to you folks about the programs that we are running now, which which is the sales and the speaking programs
0: okay fantastic well i'll make sure all the links to your uh, relevant socials and to your websites are included in the show notes as well thank you so much for coming on the show craig and sharing your all-in story and your approach to life that really is truly all in and it's very inspiring for me personally and i know it will be for our listeners as well well thanks again mate really appreciate it and we'll see you soon bye for now
1: my absolute pleasure rob bye now